the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined in studio by Irish hotelier John Fitzpatrick, who recently celebrated 25 years of business in New York. Born in Dublin in 1962, his parents Etna and Paddy entered the hotel trade in 1970 in Kalani. John trained in hospitality in Las Vegas before later returning home to run the family-owned Shannon Shamrock Hotel. In the early 1990s, he was sent to New York by his father to run a new hotel they'd opened on Lexington Avenue. He's since opened a second property opposite Grand Central Station, and between them they generate about $26 million in revenue each year. The two hotels are hugely popular with Irish visitors to New York, hosting every president and Taoiseach over the past 25 years, a number of movie stars and top athletes, and even the Northern Ireland First Minister, Ian Paisley. John is also an American citizen and was awarded an OBE by the British government for his role in the Northern Ireland peace process. He has his own charity, the Etna and Paddy Fitzpatrick Memorial Fund, and is also worldwide chairman of the Ireland Funds. John, you're very welcome to the show. Congratulations. 25 years in New York, no mean feat. No, Kira. I must say, um, just when it's only hit me in the last few months, really, it's 25 years. is mm. a long time. It's kind of scary because um, it's nearly, I'm nearly living in the States now as long as I'm living in Ireland. And uh, I don't want to ever be said I'm, <laughs> I'm more American than Irish. Cause I'm you are an American citizen. Um, I'm a full, of, a full American citizen, but I haven't given up my Irish passport. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, you received, uh, you had a little function in Dublin earlier this week just to celebrate your 25 years and to thank a few people in the trade who've helped you along the way. But you, you also got a very nice note from Liam Neeson, the actor who I think has stayed at your hotels uh, on a few occasions over the years. And I'll just read it out if you don't mind. It says, to build hotels in the greatest city in the world and not only compete with the other major hotel groups, but to thrive and maintain a very human and genuinely welcoming face to all those who walk through your doors is no small accomplishment. You and your staff define Irish hospitality. You care about your patrons and the service they receive in a major metropolis like New York where the corporate seems to rule all you and your team stand out above all others. Many congratulations on 25 years of caring and excellent excellence. Uh, proud of you. That was Liam Neeson. A very nice note. And I, I thought it, it, it kind of summed up uh, really what Fitzpatrick's is all about. And what a lot of people, even Enda Kenny, the Taoiseach at the event during the week said that uh, it's, it's Irish hospitality that you've exported to New York. Yeah, absolutely. We've been very lucky, as I said myself at that reception too. We've had... All walks of life stay with us, come to us from celebrities to heads of state mm. to our customers who give us great support. And it's just that feeling. And I think the Irish create a bit of the feeling for us because they're there and they kind of give that warm Irish hospitality. It's lovely to walk into my bars at nighttime at a restaurant and I hear two Irish people talking that hadn't met each other. But, oh, you're from Cork. Oh, yeah, I'm down the road. I was there. They just talk to each other and they kind of get together. So it's that hospitality. But also it's my team. I have to say, I've been very lucky with the team because I've always said to the any employee that starts with me, look, there's 25 hotels on, the, on Lexington Avenue alone. They can go anywhere. So we've got to make sure that we give make people welcome when they arrive. And I think that's what we try to do. Yeah, OK. Let, let's go back to the start. I think it was 1970 when your parents opened in Kalini. What, what are your earliest memories of the hotel trade? Well, 1970, that's right. Um, we moved up um, to from Wexford in 1968 and Dad went to work for P.V. Doyle for a couple of years. But he saw Kalani Castle, which was more of a guest house at the time. And he was up there and he just said, look, he looked at it for a while and he said to Mum, yeah, let's go for it. So he hocked the house, mortgaged the house in Kalani and went in and opened up with, there was 50 rooms originally there, but they were so small, he had to put two into one. 
And so you end up with only 25 rooms first and then he eventually built on the extra rooms. So it was 1970, started it. Um, I mean, I grew up in it. I mean, from school, I'd come home and if I wasn't cutting the grass, I was doing something else. It was like a second home because dad spent so much time up there with mum. Mum was a great help to him. And um, so we, from Kleine, we went then, he took the Shannon Shamrock. Uh, in 1976, I think it was 1976, and, and right up until the mid-80s, I think it was where we got the Silver, the Silver Springs, that bought the Silver Springs. So we had three hotels in Cork. Yeah. So And five children? Five, yeah, four boys and one girl, you know, and Etna, my, uh, the eldest sister, and then um, myself, Paul, Patrick and Tony. And Paul and myself were in the business, um, and but Patrick and Tony were in the construction side. And so they built all the extra rooms and the extra extensions mm. for us, you know, okay. so it was good. So it was off to Vegas then to train in hospitality. It was an interesting choice of location for them to send you to do your training. <laughs> Why Vegas? Um, I'm still trying to figure that one out after all this time. But no, first of all, Cornell is the number one hotel school, we all know. But the second one next to it was um, UNLV in Las Vegas. It was very much uh, for hotel um, training. Now, the reason why it was Vegas was my father knew... You know, Dad was such a traveler in the sense that he used to travel all over the States to get American business and he became a general sales agent for TWA. And the TWA guy in Las Vegas introduced him to somebody from UNLV, he was a professor, and friendship started. And they said, look, we'll get your son in for a year, which was very lucky to get in there because it's usually a four-year course. So Dad had known I've done the training all the way up from the kitchens, the bars and the restaurant. And he really wanted me to get some, you know, theory and kind of uh, financial experience so I took four courses over there I had a great time in Vegas I have to say I was you did, a young man in Vegas I was too young was like too I, I was too young because um, I was only 19 I remember and uh, just going on 20 and I was you know I was homesick no doubt about it and I remember my father coming out I'll come out and check you and I was very disappointed because now this is when I find out why Vegas was the second choice too it was because when I picked my father up from the airport, I was so happy to see him and go for dinner. And by 8 o'clock, he says, right, you go home now. He says, I'm going to gamble. <laughs> and I was only I was too young to go into the casinos. So I think that one of the reasons why dad sent me to Vegas was he could visit me to gamble. But no, it was a great... And look, I had... One of the courses I took was hotel entertainment. It was more political. I had to take that because the professor that we knew was also a critic for the Las Vegas Sun. So we reviewed all the hotel shows, all the shows that came in. To, the, to Las Vegas so we had a great opportunity I had Sammy Davis Jr. in my class Liberace because he would say to his to those guys if you want a good re- review and this week you better come into my class and meet my, my pupils so really? I never forget Sammy Davis Jr. just sitting on the edge of the desk there talking to us and there was only 25 of us in the class so I had some great experiences and Vegas was brilliant so I came back but I was only back in for about a year and I felt I needed to work for somebody else so I went to Chicago and that gave me the grounding. You know, it's one thing working for your father, but actually it's better sometimes, it's easier to work for somebody else. And um, I got different experience there, which was great. And I love I love Chicago. That mm. kind of got me the feeling that I wanted to live in the States. You know? right, okay. Now you did come home uh, to work in the family business in the Shannon Shamrock. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, I came back and I was in Kalani for a while. And then our great manager in, in Shannon at the time, Michael Rice, had a heart attack. And um, Dad said, look, one of you's got to go down. So I went down to run the Shannon Shamrock. And that's where I got really my independence because, um, well, truthfully, we were in trouble down there. It wasn't going as well as it should be. And uh, a great accountant, Jim Fleming, um, and a few others that were really just behind me because I was very young to kind of go down there and probably thought this was this little whippersnapper coming down from Dublin. 
And uh, but they all got behind me, and we turned it around, and it became very successful. At one stage, it beat Kalini, which upset my father at a board meeting once. I couldn't believe we were. I was so excited about coming back with the high numbers, and he was a little bit upset that I beat him because Kalini Castle was always his, no matter what hotel. But that was his hotel, and nobody could beat that one. <laughs> mm, tell us a little bit about your father. What was he like to work for? Uh, he was a great hotelier because he was always about the customer, and always said, you know, we can. One thing you never forget, John is no matter how big you get, whatever it is, you're always an innkeeper. Don't let that go. And that's what I think a lot of hotels have lost, not just in Ireland, but all around the world, that they become more corporate. They're more about financial results. About And it also, it's, it's not individuals owning. They're not hoteliers anymore. They're funds. They're big institutions. And yes, we all have to watch the bottom line, but we also have to remember the bottom line is the people that come in the door. And if they're not happy, then it affects the bottom line. So I um, that's the way he taught me. And um, very much about meeting the customer. Tough guy, tough boss now, you know what I mean? But didn't do me any harm. And uh, he, that's where I learned. I think I learned a lot for, an awful lot from him on the personal side and the thing. And But he thought of it differently too. In those days, you know, you could make a few mistakes and get away with it. I remember we were going through a tough time in Kalini and uh, he just called the bank manager up and said, listen, I've heard of a problem and they listened to him. So when I moved to New York, it was a little bit different. He, he, he found it a little bit different that that you know, that won't work over here. Mm. <laughs> you either you perform or you're gone, you know. Mm. So where did the passion for a, a property in New York come from? Uh, definitely from my father first. I have to say, as a young manager in Kalani, he'd always come back from the States and he'd say, you know what, there's so many Irish bars all over New York and Chicago and everywhere, but there's no Irish hotel. Why doesn't somebody open it? And we thought he was dreaming a little bit because we're very small compared, you know, at that stage you had the Doyle Hotel Group, you had the Juries Group, you had a lot, and we weren't any in that league, but... He persevered, and then finally we came, we got investors. Um, NCB were the first ones to come in with us. Dermot Desmond. Dermot Desmond, have to say, was a big help to us and wouldn't be where we are without him. And we put a fund together, and, you know, one of those investors at the time, too, in the NCB was you too, believe it or not. We didn't even know until halfway through it. And, well, we started off in Kalini, and, um, sorry, off in New York. Now, it was tough. I mean, this is where a little bit of ignorance, a little bit of naivety, because Dad always said, oh, Fitzpatrick's name was kind of known in Dublin, but in Ireland. But I said, when I moved to New York, I said, Dad, they can't even pronounce Fitzpatrick. They're calling me Fitzgerald. You know what I mean? So this is where we had to try and get our feet on the ground. And that's what was tough. The first six or eight months, I won't say they wasn't sure if we were going to make it, I'll be honest with you, because it is tough. You're up against the brands like the Hiltons and the, the Sheratons. And, you know, Americans just think, oh, yeah, I'll go to a Hilton. I, I know it. I get my points. There was another big thing, getting your travel points. And for to walk in there with just an individual hotel. But I knew once we got them in the door um, that we would give them that hospitality. And we still, one of my biggest customers now is Bloomberg. It's my biggest customer. And uh, we've beaten the Intercontinentals. We've beaten the Four Seasons. They used to go to the Four Seasons because they know that we might not have the lobby of the Four Seasons, but we have the service, and if not better. Yeah, you know. sure. Now, the first hotel was on Lexington Avenue. Yeah. And you've now got a, a second one at Grand Central Station. But yeah. just, I mean, you did mention that the first period was, and uh, at the event during the week, you, you mentioned that the first, you know, first couple of years were, were difficult. Uh, it wasn't plain sailing by any means. What was the turning point for you? Uh, turning point, I think it was just time. It was time to, to get to, out, to get our name out there, but also the Irish. I mean, they came in their droves. They got me off the ground. And it was great to see them 
a kind of coming because it was just that they wanted the support. Now they wanted the service and they expected. I mean, the likes of Smurfit was one. Dr. Smurfit was a great supporter in the beginning. He came to me and he said, look, you know, and he was very much in control in those days of the company. And he said, um, John, I'll ask my guys to stay with him. I'll ask them to stay one night, but I'm not going to tell them anymore. If you don't give them the service, I can't tell them where to stay. And he was very straight about it, but they all supported. And that came. Um, I th- what really turned it as well was... Um, the economy also turned to in Ireland. Ireland got a little bit busier. It was beginning before the Celtic Tigers start moving a bit better and the American uh, economy was good. So it was just time. It had to take time to get people in there and that's what it is. It brilled the brand up and it was. The, and now I know what my father was like, felt like when he opened Kleine Castle because the brand, the brand is, it's, it's the name. It's, you have to get that brand. Otherwise, if you don't get that name out there, forget it. You know, it doesn't matter what your hotel's like. There's too many hotels to compete with. You know. Yeah, and how come you were sent to New York rather than your sister Etna, who's running the uh, Kalani property now, or Paul, who's also in the hotel trade? Well, it's a good question. Uh, Etna kind of stepped back a little bit at that stage because she was trying to rear a family. She Etna was very much in there in the early stages in sales and marketing, and um, so then she kind of stepped back a little bit because she had four boys at that stage. And um, Paul was still yeah running. Paul was running Cork at the time, and there was a bit of a kind of a. Dad was saying, well, we'll move you to Cork and move you to Dublin. And there was always that going on. I said, listen, let's make up our mind. Someone goes out. Whoever goes out is going out, but you just got to let me run it if I go. And Paul was more of a home bird. I think he liked staying at home. And I had done two stints in the States, and I loved the States. I mean, there was something about the States. I used to go over, even when I was traveling on sales trips, I'd record the radio stations off on the deck. I mean, I'm just bringing it back to stick in my car to listen to Q101 or whoever it was, New York, whatever it is, just to listen to their music. That's, I was kind of kind of already yanked up, as they call it. <laughs> yeah. mm. You know, so um, I loved it. I just wanted to live in the States. I always had that. So I pushed it, got out there. And um, then it was great. And Dad left it to me, to be fair. He did leave it to me because he still had the hotels here. And run a hotel in the States is a little bit different. You know what I mean? It's mm. just, it's not the same. Yeah, and there have been, you know, some speed bumps along the way. I mean, nine eleven—that must have been a horrendous uh, moment for you. Look, there was plenty of speed bumps. As I said in the very beginning, and truthfully, after six months, I remember we weren't hitting the numbers, and AIB were our bank at the time. And I remember going up to Park Avenue, and we were not in a good position at all. But those days, you had bankers that kind of said, hmm. "Okay, we'd st- if 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 they knew you and they felt you could do it." I remember going up. I think it was Brian Leaney, who was the manager at the time. I said, right, the numbers my father and Paul Taft, my accountant at the time, gave you, we're not going to hit them. But if you give me a week, I'll come back and I'll tell you what numbers we will hit. Now that here six months, I know. You might not like the numbers, but I, if I give you these numbers, that's what we're going to hit. So he listened to me, went it, and he gave me a chance. And be fair, they stood back me and we hit the numbers. And actually, we beat the numbers. So it was that was the early, that was a couple of them. We got that off the ground. But then 9-11 was a huge... Mm, what's the memory of that day? You know, I've talked about it so many times, but it's still different every time in the sense that I was walking into work about 10 to 9 and um, mind my own business, only about 10 blocks. And I remember my PA at the time calling me and saying, are you OK? And I'm going, yeah, because I was going to be downtown at a meeting. They weren't sure where I was. I said, what are you talking about? She said, did you see the TV? And I didn't know what was going on. I think people at home had it saw before I did. So I walked into the hotel, saw the TVs and saw all the people in the bar just jammed up against the screens and it was just it was frightening because as the morning went on it seemed to get worse and better usually when something happens things get better but this seemed to get worse well maybe it's just a fire maybe it's something else but when we heard what it was and then the second plane 
when the second plane went in, that kind of scared everybody because then the city just, first time I've ever seen New York empty from 10 o'clock that morning was instead of going down Lexington Avenue, everybody was coming up it. They were walking from Wall Street up all the streets and it was like a, it was like a wave constant people never stopped all day and I was wondering where they were going because I saw them pass me I said where are they going and I remember going up to 59th Street made a right on 59th Street and they were going across the bridge like ants it was like watching ants get, come out thousands of them and by 10 o'clock that night there wasn't a soul left except people living in New York and it was scary it was scary and also too I think to realise that the government didn't know what was happening for a few hours jets flying over the top and president was flying around for six hours in the plane and no one knew where he was going to be. There was a bit of, you know, definitely anxiety. I remember getting phone calls from people to this, you're coming home, you're coming home. And I'm going, why are we going home? I have two buildings here, guys. You know what I mean? I have big bank loans. I just can't walk home. So, no, it was got it true. But I think that softened up the New Yorkers a little bit. I think, you know, they're always New Yorkers are tough people. But I think, you know, the cars stopped blowing their horns for weeks after yeah. or months. It was a shock to What people. impact did it have on business? Oh, it killed us. It, I mean, for the first few days, it was jammed because nobody could get out. All the companies were keeping people because once you went over the bridge or through the tunnel, because Manhattan, as you know, is an island. So once they got off the island, they weren't allowing anybody back in. So everybody was staying there. So I knew what was going to happen once the planes and the airports again start flying. I said, we're going to be in trouble here, guys. It's going to empty. And um, I remember having a meeting in the mayor's office and they were going to put money into bringing, getting film stars and movie stars to make ads to come back to New York. And I said, lads, you can... Have what you like, but if people are scared, they're not traveling. So it died for about two months. We ran about 40% occupancy. <clears throat> and um, I remember my CFO coming into me one morning and he said to me, um, the daily reports I'm sending you, nobody looking at a computer, you're not reading them. I said, no, I'm not reading them. And I'm a guy who would read them every morning. I said, because I just know I'm below 65% and anything below that I'm losing. But you know nothing you could do. You just had to battle down the hatches and hope it came back. I think by October... Um, the end of November I think the first sign of it for us was the marathon New York marathon where people came back in and the Irish start coming over again so it was tough that was one of the toughs and I had just bought Chicago at the same time so it was trying to you know I remember ringing AIB and I said I need to come up and see you and I remember them saying yeah we're expecting your call but they knew what it was like so they stuck with me um, Chicago was a big problem because I just bought it the brand hadn't been established um, and I was fighting to keep that thing going and it went to a really rough time again there for a while trying to get off the ground And but again I had Bank of Scotland and the ICC you know Joe O'Reilly um, and a couple of the guys there that would you know those days they were mm. bankers and um, they were the ones that would say to you um, we'll stick with you we'll stick with you I wouldn't I'd hate it to happen now because I don't know if the banks would be able to as, to, as lenient Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, June 2015. Now, you saw another phenomenon in New York, and that was the Celtic Tiger shopping, where Irish people were going over literally for a couple of days to do a bit of shopping, and they'd maybe say, oh, should we be back in a few weeks? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. <clears throat> yeah, that was crazy. I remember the Celtic Tiger started, as I said, roaring, and they were coming over. I mean, they were arriving on a Friday, and we'd always see that over the years. They come on a Friday um, and leave on a Monday. And, you know, even on a Monday, they check out, put their bags in the closet, and still go out shopping. And they'd come back in my lobby at three o'clock in the day with suitcases. Everyone would take 
with all people unpacking their bags, loading it up again. And I remember saying to some of the ladies, right, so I'm sure I'll see you probably next year. Oh, no, we're back next month. I mean, they were just coming over like it was going for a weekend to London. It was just crazy. And But the prices were right. The dollar was right. And the banks were just throwing money at people. You know, it was ridiculous. So um, it was crazy times, really crazy times. Well, let's fast forward to 2008 when the Irish economy uh, crashed and presumably that tap uh, was suddenly turned off for you in terms of business. Absolutely. It just, we could see it coming. Once that happened, I said to, I pulled in my sales team and I was a bit annoyed myself because, you know, we were getting all the Irish business and I was kind of criticizing myself for relying on a lot of it too much because it was coming. But um, I said, right, into the room and I said, let's, we got to hit the English market. I said, the Irish market is gone. They're not coming back. And I remember sending our sales team over and it took a while to get into the likes of British Airways holidays, Virgin holidays, all those. And realised when we did break it, now it took a long time to break into it, but when we broke into it, the business was coming huge because it was huge volume. So that got us over that hump and it finally came back again. And now it's back to, you know, normal. Again, people are travelling over to go shopping. But I, I found some of the families coming, many women are coming out shopping, but when they come out shopping now, you know, they're not buying stuff for themselves. They're buying stuff for their kids. You know what I mean? And say, look, this will do the kids for the next year or so. They're a little bit more conservative. You know what I'm saying to you? And they're not just splashing out on everything. So, look, I think we've all learned our lesson. Um, you know, I learned it after 9-11. Ireland learned it after the, the thing. And just, it just, yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's what tough. proportion of your business would have been from Britain? I'd still say about 20, 15% of my business would be between corporate and leisure. It's about 15%. Okay. So you know? will Brexit have an impact on that? It's going to be interesting. We're, that's, a, that's a $6 million question. Nobody knows. Um, but I don't think it's because my mix is good. A lot of my American, a lot of it's corporate uh, um, business from Great Britain. And with all the business I've done with British Airways Cruise, looking after Cruise over the years, it's brought my brand over there. So I get a lot of corporate. So they'll still have to travel over there um, to travel to us. I think the biggest thing that's affecting us at the moment is the dollar. It's just too it's too strong, you know what I mean? And it's affecting, because I can hear them coming over and I say, God, it's so expensive here. And I'm saying, no, you were just getting a great deal a few years ago, you know? It's yeah. still, economic. to buy stuff in the States, it's still cheaper, you know? Now, another issue that's impacting you is the, the glut of hotel rooms in New York. It's really ramped up in recent years and that's that's affecting the, the kind of prices you can charge. Yeah. What's happened now is, look, I've gone through three cycles since I moved over there. I always call it six years up, six years kind of levying off and back again. The biggest problem now in New York, and I was chairman of American Hotel and Lodging, which was nationwide, uh, represent over 7 million hotels or 7 million rooms in the United States. And now I said I was also chairman of the New York Association. I still stay involved in the New York Association as an officer for the simple reasons. It's my market. I want to know what's going on. And um, the problem is now is there was over 1,800 rooms opened in New York last year, 900 the year before, and there's another 1,800 rooms this year. So you can see it already. You just have to look at it. That is a glut. Now, in the short term, the rates have dropped. And that's because all these new hotels have three or 400 rooms. They thought it was real sexy and exciting to open a hotel. Now they've realized that it's not. It's hard work. And they've opened them. So they're dropping the rates crazy to get people in. But so what kind of rates are we talking <clears throat> about? Well, in January and February, they were down as low as 170, 180. Now it's gone back up or up into 300s again. Is that for you or is that across the board? Across the board. Okay. Oh, so ridiculous. I mean, for your, let's talk about the Fitzpatrick hotels. Yeah. How low did it go this year? Oh, we went down to, in January, February, down to 170, 180. And what would it normally be? Oh, up in the 200s, 250s. You know, and if you drop the rate, 
that's bottom line. That's 100% your bottom line because all the other overheads are already there. So we'll, I'll see ourselves being down this year about 10 or 15%. We really will because of this. Now we'll carry it. Lucky enough, mm. we're established. We've low debt. And we've got a great following. We won't be affected as bad as the others. But I would hate to be someone opening a hotel in New York for the next two years. And the other issue facing, the other competitive issue is Airbnb. Absolutely. We are fighting mad on Airbnb. It's not that we don't agree with Airbnb. We think Airbnb, if it's used in the correct form, and direct, it's perfect. Because Airbnb was set up for someone who had a spare room. And as long as they're living in the apartment, they want to rent it out. That was for a different market and that was the idea of Airbnb or if you had a house in France or you had an apartment in Spain and you wanted to rent it out but what Airbnb is doing now is they're taking on people who have say 20 or 30 apartments in a building and the rate basically run it like a hotel and it's illegal in New York City to rent uh, for, for Airbnb to have these apartments unless they're living it themselves for under 30 days. Mm. You have to. Bloomberg so why don't the in. authorities do something about it? Well, it's, we are pushing now. Finally, Bloomberg was a great mayor. Absolutely great mayor. He brought in the law. And um, our present mayor now is um, finally getting wind of it. And, um, because what's, it's doing more than affecting hotels. What is it doing? And it's actually probably having an effect on Dublin. And, the main, and maybe the bigger cities in the sense that the landlords now are realising that they can rent out a room per night for a lot more than if they rent out the apartment per month. So I would say to you that one, one of the reasons why your apartment rents are so high, first of all, there's a lack of apartments. But what's adding on top of that is there's a lot of more Airbnb and they're making more money by doing it Airbnb than renting out on the monthly. And that's what the mayor is very, very... Um, fighting it on not just from the hotel point of view from the social housing point of view from people can't rent apartments there's, they're not available mm. How many Airbnb units available in New York? Well we've just done a report ones that we can find and, and they're actually um, registered is 29,000 And how many hotel rooms in New York? Oh God there's something like and I have to give you a catch me on this one now but there was something like 6,000 or something rooms 6 or 8,000 rooms you know what I mean it's just it's crazy 20, sorry, 24,000 rooms, sorry, in New York City. So if you think... Hotel rooms. Say, hotel rooms, yeah. I'm just thinking, because some of the hotels are better. Mm. So about 24,000 rooms. If you think of it, and these are out, and they're not paying real estate, proper real estate tax, mm. and the biggest fear for Airbnb is that they're not insured. So if someone has an accident, not all of them are insured. So what people are doing is they're renting out their apartment under household insurance, and that's fine. But if an accident happens or someone gets hurt in the apartment and they claim if their insurance company find out they were getting money for it, then it's a commercial unit and they're not insured. So we're trying to get the mayor to regularise it and make sure that we put, if they pay their taxes, they pay their things, we have no problem with that from a hotelier, but we want them on the same uh, level playing field as us. Yeah, right. Um, Some people might argue that, you know, this is just capitalism. Airbnb is a disruptor in the same way that, you know, various companies are disruptive for media or other industries and it's just a a case of you guys having to readjust? Well, it could be in the sense, but if, as, long as, they're, they're, as long as they're running it illegally, you know what I'm saying? That's the bottom line. And make sure that you've... You know, one of our biggest problems, and people don't realise it too, when you stay in a hotel, fire and safety is one of the biggest issues. So when you're in a hotel room, you want to make sure that if something happens, that someone's there to make sure you get out of the building. Now, you go into these apartment buildings where you don't meet anybody, you get a key handed to you, you go into a, a big, tall building, and next minute there's a fire alarm go off. Where do you go? 
Yeah. Who's going to get you out? Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? So, um, well, how does Donald Trump feel about this? He's a hotelier, probably the most famous hotelier now in New York. <laughs> how does he feel about Airbnb? Um, I'm sure he's a lot more in his mind now at the moment than Airbnb. <laughs> um, but he's, he is a hotelier. His hotels, exactly, you know, when he has his hotel hat on, he feels the same way. But as President of the United States, you see, he's conflicted, so he has to be very careful. You know, he's not commenting yeah. on it. Let's, you know. let's talk about Trump, actually, because I suppose he's been a competitor of sorts in New York and that you're both in the hotel game. Um, you were a very open supporter of Hillary Clinton's campaign. You've been uh, a supporter of the Clintons for many years. I know you're um, close to them and you've supported them in terms of their work in Northern Ireland and so forth. Um, Donald Trump is obviously a controversial figure. He's president now. You probably never figured uh, he would become president. A lot of people didn't, but uh, he's there now. How do, you, how do you think he's doing? Look, um, yes, you're right. I was very much behind the Clintons. And just to comment on that, one of the reasons was is because of what they've done for Ireland. I, I didn't know the Clintons before I moved to the States. And one of the reasons why I was drawn to them was because without President Clinton, you know, peace in Northern Ireland may not have been as, come as quick as it did. And they've always been interested in Irish issues. So that's where I count. I'm still very much supportive of them. And they love Ireland. As you saw, President Clinton was here a few weeks ago. And just to walk down Grafton Street, he, he, just, he just loves Ireland. And that's great. President Trump is, um, let me say to you, look, he's now the president and has put my American hat on. You know, when someone's elected into office, you have to respect the office and you just hope he's going to come around and probably someone could knock the edges off him, especially, you know, when I see him speaking, he's just, he's just not a speaker. You know what I mean? But we've got to get behind him. We've got to see, can we... Um, you know, we honoured uh, Pence uh, in, in the Ireland funds way back in March because he's a vice president. Because, this, you know, it's, they're in office. We've got to get behind them. If we, there's no point just being stubborn and saying, oh, well, we don't like him or we're not going to support him. But I think he's got a lot of issues on his plate at the moment. And, I'm, I, and when he comes back from this trip, it's going to be inter- interesting to see how this Russian thing sorts itself out. I hope there's nothing there mm. from an American point of view because, again, we want the country to, to prosper. We want everything to move forward. So let's hope there's nothing. But he's a lot on his plate. And mm. if he just listened, I think if he'd listen a little bit more, I know that's the fault of us all. If we just listen a little bit more, we might, might learn a little bit. Sure. Now, we mentioned the crash in Ireland in 2008. Um, that threw up all sorts of opportunities maybe for you to come back home and invest in some uh, properties here. I mean, there's been dozens if not hundreds of uh, hotels changed hands in Ireland over the past uh, decade or so a lot of them went into receivership and examinership and um, so on and so forth and a lot of them had rock bottom prices as well did you consider uh, looking at any of them or did you consider purchasing any properties here? Yeah there's no doubt that I looked at it you know but things were so bad that um, there was a couple of hotels I now I should have gone for and I didn't so that's my own fault but it was just so negative at the time back mm. here when I came back actually people were saying to me are you crazy what are you coming back here for you've got places in the States why don't you stay there so my fault in a way I should have pushed in because nobody would believe the turnaround the rates in Dublin at the moment are some nights higher than New York City so I mean it, it's, it's phenomenal the only thing I would say to Irish hoteliers is be careful because um you know, the rates sometimes, they're just, we know in our own city too, in New York, if you charge too much, you'll end up, you know, short-term gain, but long-term, you'll lose it because, you know, I was only talking to the Taoiseach the other night about it at the reception, the same thing, that, 
you know, you might price yourselves out of, you may lose conventions to, not maybe London because the price is still high, but you could lose them to Manchester, you could lose them to other cities outside London. Because I looked at the rates here and I'm even hearing it from the American side. People say, God, do you see how expensive Ireland has got? You know, it's 500 euros for, or 450 euros for a room. That's a lot of money, you know. Now, when there's something on, great, but, you know, there's a lot of new hotels coming on the, on the line here now in the next few years. So we've got to, you've got to be careful too as a hotelier that you just um, build up your base um, because when these hotels come, there'll be a glut like New York at the moment. Mm. So which know? hotels do you wish you'd gone for? I can't say those names now because somebody else bought them. <laughs> but <laughs> I tell right. you, there's some, some guys have some great deals and I have to say, it's great to see Ireland doing so well. And, and you know, the hoteliers deserve, they went through a really rough time, a really rough time. And I'm delighted to see the Irish hoteliers back again, full swing. Now, let's assume that the Fitzpatrick hotels in New York are the best in the world. Uh, let's take that as a given. Uh, but if you had to stay somewhere else in some other hotel in some other city, um, where, where would your favourite hotel be? Um, well, I have to say I love um, there's a couple of hotels in Ireland or outside uh, Ireland. Yeah. Well, choose. first, my my favourite, my breakaway is Dromolan Castle or Ashford Castle, I have to say. To me, um, they're just two fantastic properties. But also, when I go to London, the Corinthian. Uh, Corinthian in Whitehall Place is one of the nice hotels I've ever stayed in. And in Washington, I love the Willard. The Willard to me is the old time hotel right beside the White House. And um, and then, but there's some great hotels in Ireland as well. So it's 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 a great competition. I know what it is. I have to say, um, to me, being in the hotel business um, is fascinating because I live, as you know, in the one of the greatest hotels of all in the side of the plaza. And to walk down there every morning, to realise who this walked is through. This Central Park. Central Park. I mean, just to walk down there and see the photographs of Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, Jackie Onassis, where they all used to walk through those lobbies. There's something about hotels that's just, it's got a lot of history. It doesn't matter whose hotel it is, but those old hotels have some great history in them. Mm. Tell us about some of the quirky requests you've had from guests over the years. <laughs> you want me to be locked up? <laughs> no, um, no. There's, there's, I, th- I think the toughest one I had probably was when I just first opened um, and was great. This is where the support came. Neil O'Dowd from the Irish Voice and Irish American, Patricia Hardy, rang me and I was only open maybe a month or two months and they said, um, we've got that um, a f- famous actor coming in, um, Gregory Peck. Uh, so Gregory Peck, yeah, and we want to put him in your hotel. So God, all right. So actually, I gave him the penthouse that I actually was living in at the time was the top floor, and so this was awesome. I got to get out of here. I move into a room. Gregory Peck definitely take him. So we put him in, and then the day before he arrived, I got a request that he wanted his own private line. And I said, well, he has an extension. He dials nine. He gets an outside line. Oh no, no, no! He wants his own line with his own number, and I said, my God, how am I going to do that? So my office was on the third floor or second floor. And I looked out the window of the penthouse between one of the windows and my office was directly underneath it. So I remember running around to Radio Shack, that store, and getting all these telephone leads where you could connect them with all the connections. I think I, so I had something like 10 or 15 floors. So I worked out how many feet I needed and connected all these jacks together, threw it out the penthouse window down into my office and connected it to my phone. Went up and connected to the phone room and it worked. So I had a direct line. But the only thing I said is I had to ring all my friends I said, don't call me a direct line for the next few days. And they said, why? Because Gregory Peck might pick up the room. So, you know, you get these requests, but you, yeah, as a hotelier, you figure a way around it. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, John, you've been in the business for a long time now. Uh, you're, if you don't mind me saying, you're 55 this year. Um, I depend who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the obvious question is about your future plans. Uh, you've been in New York now for a quarter of a century. Um, you're not married. Uh, yeah. 
So what are your plans? Are you going to stay in, in New York long term? Do you think you'll end up uh, coming back to Ireland? Will you sell the business? Have you had offers for the business? I'm sure you must have. Look, over the years I've had offers, yes. There's no doubt about it. But I'm the type of person, yeah, I'm not married. And probably one of the reasons I'm not married is because I probably don't know how to delegate enough. But I've always put my business first. And I love what I do. I mean, anybody I do date, oh, that's the problem, a comment I get is, you, you know, you love your hotels more than anything else. And that's, that's it's not that, it, it's just I love what I do. So I can't see myself ever just selling out and going, you know, you know, unless somebody comes into it with a crazy, crazy offer. But I would see myself, no, I'm always driving, looking. And you know yourself, I spoke to you many times, trying to find something. They never, If they don't work, I look for the next one. And I think that's what, I could never sit back and just sit back and retire. And as I said to you, I've been born up in the hotel business. We grew up as kids in the hotels, running around the hotels with my father. So I can't see myself sitting back. And, you know, the will opportunities. The good thing about the States at the moment is now that I'm there established long enough, I can see the right opportunities coming. And you know, that was the one weakness I had when I came to understand New York City is tough. The unions are a big, they're not like unions here, they are tough. And to know uh, how to get yourselves through all that situation. So there may be other opportunities and I would look. More and, hotels? Yes, absolutely. In the absolutely. States? Yeah, because I've already been approached already now because the funds, we feel some hotels are going to run into trouble in, in the States, in New York. We really do. And I have a feeling banks will be coming to certain people there a long time and saying, you know, you might have opportunities. So opportunities are there. And do you have the financial firepower to go after yeah, something? Yeah, look enough, be? we're very low debt. You mm. see, we, over, we've been able to refinance stuff over the years. Over the, look, when I say we're down 15%, we're down on some really unbelievable years we've ever had. You know what I'm saying to you? So, um, but there is a, a little tr- kind of a treasure, money put away there. Since. So we'd have, we'd be in a much better position now to do it. Uh, to do it. But only if the right deal, because again, um, unfortunately, it's not like the old days. We, I would probably hesitate more now than I would have five or six years because of, of the situation with banks and... You know. Yeah, well, actually, on that, uh, your father, and we'll conclude on this point, your father had three golden rules. I remember you telling me yeah. before. I think one of them was to always communicate with your banks, always be open with them. The other one was uh, always deal with Irish banks. Yes. And the third one was no personal guarantees. I'm just wondering, have you always stuck with those? I have always stuck with them because yeah, I mean, when he sent me to the States that time, I did say to him, I said, listen, um, leave me alone. I want to run this. He said, I'm going to leave you alone. But just those mm. three things don't touch it because, and look at uh, a personal guarantee I'd never sign a personal guarantee ever and they were a feature of course of the, yeah. the, the boom years yeah, um, here yeah. in Ireland that's what got so many people into trouble alright John Fitzpatrick thank you very much for joining us ok that's it for this week from Inside Business my thanks to studio guest John Fitzpatrick Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook I should also remind you that the Irish Times is hosting an economic summit in the Shelburne Hotel next Tuesday, uh, where the keynote speaker will be the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Pascal Dunne, tickets are still on sale for that event. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>